companies all over the globe are developing and molding their own give-back models. My name is Christine Petrella, and I'm fortunate enough to host a podcast where I can speak with these companies and help us all learn the unique ways that companies big and small are doing good things in their communities and giving back to so many important causes. My next guest is Andy Choi. He is the founder and CEO of Do Good Points. It's a digital platform that's working to bridge the gap between nonprofits and individuals seeking to make a difference in the world. Now, we never imagined starting a business in the social impact space. Starting Do Good Points felt like answering a calling to give back. Andy, I am so happy to finally chat with you and meet you. How are you today? I am doing very good. And it's so nice to be with you. Thanks for having me, Christine. Yeah, absolutely. And I heard about Do Good Points through a friend of mine. And I want to know where the wheels kind of went in motion. When did you know that Do Good Points was something that the world needed to see? Honestly, Do Good Points wasn't a business that I pursued. It was more of kind of a calling. We started a journey a little over three years ago. We're in year four now. Kind of started as like a side hustle. Like, you know, I'm from born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, like was working at a big tech company and I was doing digital marketing and I just wanted to do some nonprofit fundraising. And it was something I was like, oh, I saw an opportunity and it just kind of took off in pursuit of that opportunity and trying to do some good. It started like the whole process. Like, what do I really want to do? What's the vision behind this? Is this something I really want to get into? And because I've never been in a nonprofit space, so it was new for me. And it was just a whole, it was a whole thing. What prompted that? I mean, you just said you wanted to get into it. Was there a tipping point where you noticed there was a greater issue or what made you say, I got to get into this nonprofit world? Honest, honest answer is one, it was really recognizing an opportunity first. I've started my first business when I was like 14. I've ran about seven different companies, like from consumer goods to e-commerce. So I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. And one of the things that my current company, we're doing fundraising a little bit on the side, which all big corporations do, right? Giving Tuesday, holiday season, let's do something. But it was always, it's not big. It's just something nice to do. We did a campaign and it did really well. Long story short, it did really well. And I was like, why do we always have to only do this during the holiday? Why can't we support nonprofits regularly? And I had those resources. I had those connections. I had know-how. We're doing really large scale drives for like big partners and airlines and retailers. I was like, can we just do this for nonprofits? And I was like, it's going to take some time and energy, but I was like, I can do that. The idea honestly was like, what can I do today? Why do I have to wait to the next holiday season? Why do I have to like whatever else? Like there was an opportunity here. I can do some good. So it's like trying to break down those barriers on a personal level really led to the journey of two good points. And that's one of my favorite quotes that I live by is nothing happens if nothing happens. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So we're all trying to push forward and we just got to start what we need to start. So, And honestly, one of the biggest things I always say, and this is one of the central missions of Duga Points, is to really break down the barriers between intention and action. I inherently believe that everyone wants to do good, but it's just when I have more time or when I have more money. The honest reality, there's never enough time and there's never enough money. It's like, how can we give from what we have today? How do we take action, however small or big, to make a difference and participate in that and really break down those barriers because we're not defined by our intentions. We're defined by the choices and the actions that we take. So I think to your point, that was literally what was my calling to it as well. It's like, oh, I'm going to make a shit ton of money and come back to doing good, right? It's like, no, it's like, what if I don't have that chance? Like, why do I have to wait? Yeah, I love that. Love that about your spirit. 
So what is Do Good Points? I log in and I can sign up for your newsletters. I know I get points or I can click on a couple buttons to get started here and I get points. So what are those points doing? Taking a step back from there, like from a product level, we want to be the starting place of doing good. Just like when you're looking for Mexican food or Chinese food, you go to Yelp, you're like, hey, you know, what's a nearest place or, you know, a place I can do? When you want to connect to a social cause or organization, we want to be the largest database and marketplace where you can do that. Find information about local organizations, wherever else, you know, so you can access 1.7 million nonprofits on our platform, get ratings and review systems, educational materials and everything else. But as you take actions, like micro actions, like learning, sharing on social media, you earn what's called good points. Once you earn enough good points, the only thing you can do with it is convert them into an actual cash donation. So essentially, we're the first platform where you don't have to spend a single dollar in order to make a charitable contribution. Just by engaging, just by learning and sharing and helping spread the knowledge and doing good, you're able to participate in philanthropy, participate in social impact or whatever else it might be that really kind of speaks to your soul. And you have thousands of people who have already signed up and they're already starting to do good. Yeah, we definitely went through a number of pilots. It's been a learning process, a lot of reiterations. And during COVID, obviously, when everything went digital, no one was ready for that. We weren't ready for that. We went from being kind of necessary to absolutely necessary for nonprofit overnight. I would love to say that like, oh yeah, we solved all their problems, but we just weren't ready for that kind of capacity. So it was just a huge learning for us, but really identifying where the problem and the pain points are and how we solve those things and how we service those needs. I spent so much time speaking to over 300 nonprofits, just really diving into what's the problem. Obviously the nonprofit space hurt through COVID tremendously, like dollars, layoffs, furloughs, whatever you want to call it. It was just a really rough time for the space. And I think a lot of what we want to address is how do we solve those problems? Because our goal is not to just be another nonprofit or another social enterprise, but really empower and serve the greater industry. So how do we, I mean, this is a big question, but I'm not looking for the right answer here, but how do we solve those problems of the nonprofits getting hit through COVID and everyone's protecting their finances? And they're losing people to illnesses or people who just aren't comfortable coming back into their offices. Obviously, those nonprofits are getting hit hard in many different ways. How are we solving a problem? I think there's multiple ways we can address that. First, as a consumer, right? Or just as an individual, it's okay for things to not be okay. Everyone was in that survival mode. And unfortunately, we are the most important people in our lives. And when that's the case, when we have the luxury to take a step back and be like, all right, who else is in need? That's when we start really addressing the questions of how do we participate in that? It seems like a lifetime ago, but it was only like a year ago when people were hoarding the shit out of toilet paper, right? Like they weren't really thinking about like who else needs this, right? It's like they were waiting in line fighting over toilet paper. And you think about just basic human psychology, like Maslow's needs, hierarchy, all of those things. There's steps to our process and we're at a different step right now, right? We're coming out of the pandemic, you know, we're still fighting through it, but things are opening up. And now looking into how do we participate in the recovery? How do we serve the most vulnerable? Because one of the things that on a personal level for me hit me really hard and was just a struggle is like when people were locked down in their homes, I had the luxury of a home, of a safe place. But can you imagine the people like where their home is the toxic environment? They had an abusive parent or just abuse, whatever it might be, that kind of crushed me because there are some nonprofits we work with and like hotlines and stuff, they were on fire. They couldn't have enough help, didn't have enough resources. 
we were scrambling to get them campaigns and get them more exposure. When I think about that stage and where we're at now, it's we're coming out of that and the need's going to change. The needs are changing. How do we address it? I think as consumers or like just to participate in it, right? The awareness of it. We don't need to wait for the holiday season. We don't need to wait for another social justice movement in order to get fired up. There are people that are in need on a daily basis and it doesn't require another Bill Gates to come in and save the world. All of us participate in this world. We contribute to this world. There are things that we can take what we call micro actions, just small conversations we can have about how do we participate in that to really create that change. Because I think all of us always assume that it needs to be this big act, but it's the small things mostly in life that add up to something bigger. It is. It's the education. It's just knowing what resources you have available. And when you were talking a little bit earlier about when you reflected, I had a similar reflection and it was about a year ago when we were on lockdown, we were home, the kids were home. And I'm very involved in an organization that speaks up for kids who are removed from their homes because of abuse and neglect. And one of the biggest advocates and one of the biggest reporters of that abuse and neglect are the teachers. So when those kids were not at school, we lost visibility to a lot of those kids that we were worried about. And we, and the teachers, oh my gosh, I can't imagine what they were going through just knowing that, you know, their babies, their kids in their classrooms were at home and they don't know what's going on. So that's, you know, a reason why I wanted this podcast to get out there is just to spread more education about what the issues are in our community, what are our neighbors facing, how can we help and what we can do. And that's another reason why I'm just so happy to see two good points because you're making it so much easier for us to access that information. And we can't sit back and say, well, I just don't know how to get involved. There are so many avenues that you can get involved and you're a huge advocate for that. So when you mentioned you spoke with, gosh, over 300 different nonprofits, I'm sure you've spoken with many more of them. How are you finding who gets your time and attention? I think the easiest way to answer that is that one of the questions that we ask ourselves as a business is constantly, how do we scale? Because this is not a slow grind. You know, to solve problems, you have to do it at scale. So I'm a firm believer in effective altruism. I don't know how much you know about that, but it's just this idea of if I have 10 hours to give or $10, what's the best way to use that $10 or the 10 hours? Is it best for me to go and volunteer at a soup kitchen? Or is it best for me to use those 10 hours doing what I know how to do best, what the market pays me the most to do, which is develop business and strategies? It's probably better spent if I did that for social impact. Or if I had $10, it's like, where can this $10 have maximum impact? So then going back to scalability, it's like, how do we address the market? How do we do that at scale? And I think utilizing technology, we're a tech company, right? We're a social impact. We have a 501c3 foundation as well as our our C corporation. We're a tech startup and we utilize technology to our advantage. That's the whole point and the beauty of tech. It's how do we make things easier? How do we solve problems with that? Because it's just a resource and a tool. So utilizing things like APIs, database, aggregations, and all of those things really allow us to leverage the marketplace. I don't believe there's competition in doing good. And that's one of our biggest changes. And unfortunately, within the nonprofit space, if you're familiar with it, there's incredible competition because there's a scarcity mindset within the nonprofit space. Every nonprofit is going after the same grants. They're going after the same major donors, which means what? You're competing against each other. It's a finite amount of resources, meaning that it's survival of the fittest. And that's just the way the market is. But 
what we're saying is the market's big enough. You don't have to fight over that last slice of pie. Like the pie can be bigger, make a bigger pie, right? Like it's like, let everyone participate. And that's our approach to it. How do we create an ecosystem and an economy that really thrives rather than compete against each other? Competition to some degree is always healthy and it's great, but not when it's coming at the expense of doing good. We're trying to break down those barriers, utilize technology to really address those problems that from a consumer level, from a nonprofit sector level, from partnerships, from multiple areas, and really bring that together in economy, utilizing technology to make that sustainable and scalable. It's funny you say technology because I know one of the pain points that a lot of nonprofits have are their websites, is the technology. Because when they're putting together that team, their team is go, go, go on the mission. They're going on the cause. That's why we're bringing them in. They're not focused on the technology side of things. Very rarely are they going to have a background. So when you go to a lot of these websites and you want to just make an easy donation, it's not very easy to do. It's not. And now I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, how do I try and help solve that? And I know there's pro bono places out there and you can call and help, but everyone's probably fighting that same battle. And I think if maybe we can start to focus on getting some more support to these nonprofits for that technical side, they can do a lot more about getting their mission out and their marketing side and their donation piece. That's a good point you bring up. And I 100% agree with that. Let them do what they do best, which is serve their cause. To that point, over 50% of nonprofits do not have a marketing or a, a communication plan, meaning websites, Facebook pages, whatever. There's no system to manage that. There's no strategy to manage that. On average, less than 10% of all giving is digital giving. 90% still come from mailer programs. So you think about that, then it's like, that's the low-hanging fruit, right? Because the average donor in the United States is 64 years old. If that's your low-hanging fruit, those are the people that are giving. That's what you put your resources into. So you're not building out a website because your 64-year-old donor is probably not visiting that website. One of the major problems that we're tackling is that every nonprofit has an aging donor base. And literally, as their donors are aging out of their system, passing away, they're left with this huge gap in their budget. And they haven't invested anything into the next generation. So you're just left with this big gap that just increases over time and time. And it's like, all right, well, you have to invest, but they don't have the resources or the knowledge. Then it's just this big barrier. How do we address those problems? How do we address those needs? How do we do it in a way we're not creating more problems? We don't want to be another service provider that's selling shit to nonprofits either. If I wanted to sell stuff, I would have stayed in the private sector and sold other stuff. <laughs> it wouldn't be good services to nonprofits. So it's just trying to solve those things are the things that we think about and tackle on a daily basis. Yeah, and just social media is a beast. So again, if you're not having someone that's dedicated to it, you're going to fall behind. And that's a gap that is going to be tough to fill. I want to ask you, and I was going to explain this to listeners, but I'm like, Andy is going to do a way better job <laughs> than I am. You talk about ROG, return on giving. Can you tell the audience a little bit about ROG? It's kind of our secret sauce, but it's not a secret. It's return on giving, just like return on investment, right? How do we really change the narrative in regards to the business of doing good? Because it is absolutely a business and it's a critical and necessary business for impact. And I think the narrative behind money and nonprofits is just hugely out of context. People are like, oh, they shouldn't spend money on marketing. They shouldn't. It's absolutely necessary that you do that. It's just part of business. You invest money into growing more money or more market shares. It's just the objective is different. Instead of selling a product, like a t-shirt or whatever it is, it's social impact. 
but that needs resources. It needs marketing. It needs social media, whatever you want to, whatever it is. So then how do we invest into that? Right now, a standard nonprofit business model is that, hey, I'm going to do a gala during the summer or winter. I'm going to raise $100,000. I'm going to go spend $100,000 and then do another gala next winter or whatever. It's just a terrible way to do business. Like there's no compounded growth. There's no return on investment. Like it's just this, I have it, burn it, get the next one. It's just not a good way to do business. So how do we address those issues? So our economy, what we call the good economy, runs on this principle of return on giving. How do we invest into, for every dollar that's donated to our platform, how do we reinvest a portion of it to raise another dollar, drive more awareness and engage more people? And it's been the same song, you know, like Melinda Gates, you know, like you look through TED Talk, it's been a conversation, but it's never been tackled at a scale. So then how do we do that and really use those dollars and resources to support nonprofits? That return on giving is really just literally investing into the future growth and having compounded return on investments for nonprofit and social impact rather than just business model of spend everything and then just raise more money again. No one lives like that. If you want to build a future, if you want to have a retirement, you have to invest into it. I hope to see that more. I really hope to be reading more of that and seeing more of that. Now, Andy, your passion and your energy, I can feel it from here. I know you're on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast. But what keeps you up at night? Personally, I'm just tired all the time. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a grind. The start of journey is a grind. So it's like I'm burning the candle on both ends. What little I do sleep, I'm like passed out. Right? <laughs> so you're just up. <laughs> yes. But what keeps me up at night is just, there's just so much work to be done. There's so much work to be done. And I think conversations like this, I look forward to because I believe in the one-to-one conversation. I believe that if small movements and change in narratives, it starts with us having a simple sit-down conversation, whether it's one-on-one, whether it's 10 people, audience of 100 or 1,000, doesn't matter. I think changing the narrative really begins with the individual. That's what keeps me up. How do I reach as many people as possible? How do I have this conversation with as many people as possible? Because it's ultimately the public that needs to determine if they're ready for this change. I think this next generation, there's a huge opportunity to really change the narrative in regards to philanthropy in regards to social impact and how we give and how we can make that a part of the consumer behavior rather than the holiday and utilize technology and all of these resources that we have for good. That keeps me up. You know, how do we really bring that conversation at a larger scale? Well, thank you for sharing that. And I don't want to put you on the spot for this next question, but just listening to you, is there a cause that is just near and dear to your heart? I know there's many that you support, but Many that I support for sure. I think one particular one that's always has been a focus for myself and my family is just mental illness. It's something that my family's dealt with directly, especially within the Asian American community. It's a stigma behind having conversations around it, but mental illness is a silent killer. It's the one that we don't talk about. You see someone on the street that's yelling, you're like, oh, look at that crazy guy over there, right? Or now they're like, how do we really address those? And that's a loaded statement. There's so much to that. That to me is a cause that I would love personally to be more involved in and support, just bring more light to because it all starts with our own mental health, especially with COVID. There's been a lot of attention into that. I'm very grateful for that. It's becoming something that we can talk about. So what do you wish as your fellow citizens, what do you wish we could do better? How can we do better to address the stigma around mental illness? I think we can just start asking people how they're really doing. First off, 
Like, how are you really doing behind closed doors? I'm part of this small group through my church, my local church. One of the things that we have in what's called this small group check-ins is like, we ask each other, how goes it with your soul? Ooh. It's not like, hey, how are you doing? You know, like, it's like, hey, how is your soul doing? You know, where are you at? And to just really be intentional about answering that question, right? Instead of just kind of this reaction response, but like, you know what? It's like, my soul is doing all right, or it's not doing all right. You know, these are the things I'm struggling with or wrestling with. And to just really ask that question. I've always encouraged it, even within my social circle, especially during the pandemic. It's like, check in with people. If someone comes into mind, don't hesitate to text them. Just be like, hey, how are you doing? I just want to check in with you. Are you doing all right? You know, how's your anxiety? How's that depression? Like, you know, like that you've, you've shared, right? It's okay to have those conversations, especially with the people we love. Yeah. Don't wait to have those conversations. Be proactive because we never know what someone's going through. We do know what it feels like to know that someone else cares. We're always longing for that. So that's one thing I would say for everyone. That's so great to hear. I will say over the past probably year, year and a half, I am noticing more and more close friends and family members are starting to open up more and talk about it more. I will say there were a couple that I was shocked that there was this internal battle that they were going through. The only thing I could do was to say, how can I help? And they said exactly what you said, Andy, is just check in with me. Check in and see how I'm doing. And man, you better believe it. I am on that phone and I am checking in as much as I can. And they do the same to me. And it's just so uplifting. And you're right. We don't know what battles other people are facing. And so to have that check-in and to have that reflection time is so incredibly important. Andy, who inspires you? I mean, so many people, you know, like my parents, my father, my mom, they've been givers their whole life, even at my expense, <laughs> like at their children's expense. <laughs> you know, that was my first exposure to the nonprofit world, just because my father planted a church in Oakland, in Oakland, California, like over 30 years ago. And she's always been about serving the community. And just when I, I look back on it, because a part of me hated growing up in that environment, to be honest, I was constantly struggling and poor all the time. Like, <laughs> But I'm so grateful. And it's just, they're right heroes in the sense, like I see what it took the sacrifices that they've made. And it's kind of come full circle for me being in this industry now. So say, like, okay, like I see that now. I'm very grateful for them. And they're my hero. Well, I'm sure you made your parents proud because I've researched your website. I've seen what you're doing. And I'm just very excited to have learned more about it today and spread that word because it is so important that we ask questions and have those resources available to us to do good. So I'm going to encourage everybody who's listening to head over to Do Good Points and just check out Andy and his team and his story and ask questions, reach out to them if there's anything that you would like to learn more about or if there's anything you would like to bring up to them. But Andy, is there, I know I don't want to take more time. I know you have so much going on. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners about your journey? Let's participate together, right? Like, I think this is just one of those shared journeys, especially with the pandemic. As things open up, there's a window of opportunity to really define ourselves differently. The constant thing that I'm hearing is that people are like, oh, let's go back to what was normal. It's like, let's not. Yes. Let's forward to what's next. Let's change what we can change. Let's be better. Let's do good. Let's be better. Whatever that is for you. But to really challenge yourself to not go back to old ways or like, you know, look forward to like old patterns or things, but really define yourself and be excited for what lies ahead. You are such an inspiration. I love chatting with you. I love learning from you. Andy, please keep in touch. I want to be able to support you and your team however I can. And I loved having you as a guest on the Get Back Model. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Christine. 
I so much enjoyed my conversation with Andy. I could have spent hours still talking with him and picking his brain, but there are very important calls to actions that we talked about today. And what we wanted to kind of discuss a little bit about the do good points, you can do so much. You can find trusted information about causes you care about. Discover organizations that align with your interests and your values. Donate to organizations and causes, and you can earn points for every action you take and redeem them for monetary value so you can make an even greater impact. Now, with every donation made on their platform, they reinvest a portion of it through Do Good Foundation to further nonprofit awareness and growth. They call this the return on giving. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of The Give Back Model. Please head over to your listening avenue of choice and leave a review, like, subscribe, follow, and check out our website, thegivebackmodel.com for more episodes, show notes on each guest, and the Give Back Model merchandise where $5 from every hoodie sold goes to charity. I appreciate all your support and continue to help give back to your community.